The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who is a certified financial planner. Uh, he's at Beta Industries, uh, based in the Boston area. Welcome to the show, Harley. Well, thank you. Let's just start off with a little bit of your background and kind of how you got to where you are today. Terrific. Thank you. Well, I started in 1983, and I work with basically individuals and businesses. And uh, so I'm more on the, on the ground, on the, on the ground level of, of finance, because I deal with the individual client and individual institution and individual business person. And that's given me a great insight in understanding what's really happening in the local and national economy. So you're dealing with people both as individuals and as people running their businesses? You, you help them on both sides? Yes, I do. So uh, tell me a little bit about your, your background, your educational background, and, and what kind of client base you have. Great. Well, my educational background, well, I graduated from Boston University in, in, in finance, actually. And in 1983, I started with working with a company called Cigna. And spent about six years with them in Cigna when, when two large insurance companies merged. And that was the beginning of the change in the financial institutions when they were starting the role of becoming financial planners. And um, usually it was the insurance companies that got in there first. And then we, say, we saw the follow-up with the brokerage houses, which also started to turn out people who they called financial advisors, financial planners, instead of having them as brokers and so forth. So I was fortunate enough to start from the, from the very beginning in the, 1980s, in the 1980s when that was really occurring. So a lot of people today say they should have financial planners, but they don't. What, what is the reluctance of a lot of people to sign up financial planners? Well, I think the reluctance out there is because people are cautious. You know, we're facing an environment right now where everybody's concerned with what's happening. You know, who do they trust? Who do they feel comfortable with? You know, we have, we have so much data overload, we don't know who to take the data from. You know, we're getting it from the TV, we get it from radio, we get it from the Internet, we get it from newspapers, magazines. And the question is, you know, why should we use advisors if all this information is out there? And the real fact is that the advisor is the one person who can put all that information together in a, in a really cohesive format. So how can somebody figure out who it is advisable to trust, uh, particularly in the kind of post-Madoff era where, you know, somebody you thought was extremely reputable turned out to have been defrauding many, many people. So he's like... Who's left to trust? How, how can the average person figure out who is uh, appropriate to trust in this environment? You know, that question is a loaded question because in today's days, things are difficult. And I think one needs to really look at their referrals and ask your, somebody who has been working with somebody for a few years how they feel what, with working with them. And my business is all by referrals. We don't do any uh, off-the-cuff marketing, per se. Uh, so I would su strongly suggest that the either ask your friends, ask their advisors, lawyers, and accountants, or even go to the uh, uh, financial planning, certified financial planning. The ICFP has a web page that has local advisors in the area. 
So tell me about the process. Uh, say I come to you as a new client. Um, what is the process that you will take somebody through uh, from beginning to end as far as getting them in better financial shape and creating a plan for them? What a financial planner's real role is, is helping to help a client identify their objectives. And once you find out what their objectives are, then you work around building a plan for that. And that means gathering information. That means gathering their tax returns, their, their, uh, their income statements, their expenses, and then trying to help the client clarify their objectives. Do they want to retire in one year, five years, ten years? Do they want to save for education? Do they want to save for a home? Do they want to cut down their debt? So a real financial planner is somebody who listens to people because through listening is how you learn what they really want. And once you find out what they really want, then you put together a plan that, that, that gives them options. Do you find some people resist the whole process? It's too arduous to put all these papers together and go through this whole process and they kind of give up? <laughs> well, well, you know, when, when you're facing a, a, a big project like that, and it is a big project, you're giving your financial records over to somebody who you have not really established a firm relationship with, it's like starting a, new with an accountant. It takes time to build a rapport. It takes time to build confidence, and it takes time to establish a relationship that you feel comfortable with. But eventually, you're, it, you know, the issue here is that it has to get done. And if you're going to take a long journey, you've got to take the first step. And what is the first step then? I mean, when you take them in the first time, what are you looking for? And, and you know, what should people come armed with when they, when they go to see a Harley Kaplan on, uh, starting on a financial plan? Well, what you, what you need to come armed with is your assets and your liabilities. You know, we, we need to know how much you have. We need to know how much you owe. And we also need, and as important, is how much you spend. Because if you have a client who comes in and says that they spend a million dollars a year, and their income is $100,000, you've got a tough road to, to, to climb. But if you have somebody who spends only $1,000 a year and has a million dollars in assets, that's a big difference. So knowing what a person spends and what their spending habits are is very helpful in the financial planning process. And it's even more helpful for the client so that they look at and say, you know, what do we actually spend in a year? Where does our money go? And how can we use our money, money more effectively? Do most people have a good sense of where they spend their money? Most people, on the average, I would say most people do not really know until they sit it down and they put it down on paper. Uh, it, it is absolutely remarkable to see that when you work, and I've been doing this for 27 years, it, it is remarkable when one spouse takes over the bills and the other spouse does not have a clue. And that's, that's the part that's really um, disconcerting because in a relationship, it's, a, it's, an, equal, it's an equal relationship, hopefully, and uh, people need to understand where, what their financials look like. And as you you know, people are just not aware of where money goes. So once they're aware of it, does that tend to change their behavior? What, what do you do with that once you now understand where your, your money is well, being spent? Well, that helps in a lot of ways. And think it, you know, again, if people are looking to do retirement planning, once we know what they're spending and what their spending habits are going to be, or at least anticipate what their spending habits are going to be, then we can look at their portfolios and say, how do we organize this portfolio to meet those needs? If you need, if you're, if you earn income, and your income is, is, is meeting your expenses, clearly you can save money. And how much money can you put away for retirement? How much can you save in your 401ks and your Roth IRAs and all these other uh, pension plans that you should be looking at? A again, you need to have a base, and the base is where your spending 
your money. And once you identify where you're spending your money, then you can look where you can save your money. So uh, what condition do most people come in to you? Are they pretty well organized? They know what they're doing. They're just trying to fine-tune it, or are they coming in as a mess and need a kind of an overhaul? <laughs> well, we've got a little bit of both, actually. We have people who, you know, who have run successful businesses for many years and having a clue on how their finances are, are being managed and don't understand finances. We have people who, who come in who have a, a great deal of assets and don't understand the risk and rewards and how their assets are allocated. You know, people, today's day and age, people need to be aware of how their money is working for them. Because if they're not, they're going to wake up one day, like they did two years ago, and be surprised by what's happening out there. So, you know, we, you really need to be aware of your finances. Why is it that somebody can run a successful business and not have any clue about what's going on with their personal finances. How does that work? Well, it's a good question. Why do lawyers not have wills? Um, <laughs> that, that's, you know, people are good at what they do, and a lot of people don't like to, 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 to broach the subject. Some people avoid it. And I have clients who work 70, 80 hours a week, and they have nothing to do with where, how their money is invested. They work hard to make it, but they don't work hard on how to save it and earn it and, and I'm sorry, save it and invest it. And it's remarkable because people, you know, people do want to trust somebody. They really do. Uh, and, and then your, your first question was, you know, in this environment, people really want to trust someone. They want to believe in somebody that, that's out there to help them. Again, that trust takes time. But, and, but people also like to make their money and they work hard for their money, but they just don't have the time. You know, in order to do investing properly, you need to spend the time. There's no such thing as reading uh, you know, just a chapter in a book, and already you're a professional out there. It takes time. It takes effort. And if you don't have the time and the effort, then you really need to bring professionals in. So what do people do instead? If they don't spend the time or effort to invest, where do most people put their money? Or, or you know, Well, most people, most be, you know, and the clients that we work with are mostly are, are fairly well off. And they have advisors, they have financial professionals, uh, investment advisors, so forth. Those who don't have advisors are looking towards um, some of the fund families, and they'll call up some of the fund families and ask for recommendations from those fund families. And that's unfortunate because you know those fund families are going to be looking at their own investments that are out there, and that may not be necessarily in the best interest of the client. What's in the best interest of the client is what their what their objectives are, and in, in, in order to understand the objectives, you really need to get an overall picture. And just by calling up a large fund family may not be the most appropriate thing to do. Let's get your, your sense of the overall market conditions right now in the stock and the bond markets. Uh, we had a huge move from a year ago to now. Uh, is, is this the beginning of a huge new bull market, or are you cautious? Kind of where do you stand on the overall markets these days? Well, let's, let's look at, let's, you know, I don't know if we have enough time for, this, for, the, for your show, but let me just give you some, some general background and, and, and what I think the markets are looking at. And one of the ways in which we do that is price earnings. And we just come off the fourth quarter, about over 490 or almost close to the almost the full 500 companies almost reported at this point. But earnings at so far have beat expectations by 72%, have beat expectations. So, you know, we're seeing companies that are really doing quite well, and they're beating their expectations by more than 7%. So companies are doing quite well from their cautious stance. And the market is right now with the uh, 
price earnings of about 14, which is, which is historically 15% less than the historical average. Okay, we're actually taking a break, Harley. We'll come back to more details of this. Sure. My guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who's a certified financial planner at Beta Industries uh, in Massachusetts. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who is a certified financial planner at Beta Industries, which is an independent financial advisory firm based in Sherburne, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the show, Harley. Thank you. We were kind of getting a sense of the overall market. You were saying the price earnings ratio of the market today is about 14. Yeah. Uh, and people have been coming, companies have been coming through with better than expected earnings. So does that mean that there's a lot further for stock prices to rise if uh, price earnings ratios expand and earnings are going up so well? Well, historically, that does mean that. And historically, we're about 15% less than the historical average. But I think in this particular time period of where we are in the economic cycle, we are in a whole different, diff- a whole different paradigm at this point. Now, two years ago, we had about 100% of our population was shell-shocked by the economic crisis. And since that period of time, about 80% of the population has become less shell-shocked. 20% is still shell-shocked because they're without jobs. But the other 80% 
are feeling a little bit more comfortable about things, but not much. And when you have an economy that you're looking to grow, you need to have confidence in the economic cycles. And at this point, where people are very, very cautious, and that's the reason why companies have beat their expectations. Companies have beat their expectations because they knocked down their expectations so low. You know, we're, our economic environment at this point is cautious. So what would it take to get people to be less cautious and to be much more optimistic? You know, our economy is like a four-wheel drive car. You, each, each wheel of the uh, manufacturing, you have agriculture, you have industrial, you have technology, finance, and each one of those tires is missing one or two lug nuts. And the car is being driven by Mr. Magoo. We don't have the financial leadership that we had in the past. We don't have it on a political level, and we don't have it on a business level. A lot of the business leaders who are out there in the finance industry, all they're trying to do is stay within the foxhole. The people in the industrial industry, especially the automotive uh, CEOs, I don't even want to tell you how, how shell-shocked they are. So we're right now in an economy that is still in paralysis at this point. And until we get real firm leadership, real firm direction, we're just going to mutter along. And it was interesting listening this morning to uh, Warren Buffett on, 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 on the TV this morning. Uh, he was saying, we're, we're moving along, it's going to be recovering slowly. I agree with him. Unless we really face the issues that need to be faced, and we take the bull by the horns, and, 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 and I'm not sure that's happening at this point. What's the biggest issue that we need to take by the horns right now, and how would you deal with it? I think the biggest issue that we need to take by the horns is that we need to take energy. I think energy is the fundamental building block of the economy. Whoever controls the energy, it's been that way since the 18th century. Wherever energy is, is how you move an economy forward. And at this point, our energy consumption, our energy usage, our energy expense, is just not appropriate for moving our economy into the 21st century. Well, President Obama, one of his biggest priorities is green energy and green jobs and alternative energy and solar and putting a lot of money into that. So isn't that uh, getting at the problem? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> unless we see a real firm effort, unless we see a Manhattan Project for Energy, unless we bring in the best scientists, unless we see a, natural, a, a national consortium sits down and says, we're going to solve these issues, we're going to take over these ter certain things, we're, we're just going to do this in, in piecemeal. And giving... 100 million here, 100 million here, 100 million here is not going to do it. What we need, we need strong leadership. We need, as I said before, we need a Manhattan Project. We need a NASA for energy. You know, we have fought wars over energy, and yet we have still have not faced the reality. And the reality is, is that there's a lot of, we, in this country, we have natural gas that will last us for centuries. We have coal that can last us for centuries, and yet we are not utilizing our resources. And unless we utilize all those resources, and maintain the cost, it's hard for us to grow our, our, our manufacturing base because so much of our manufacturing cost is energy. And if we can control those energy costs, if we can cut them down and minimize them, then we will become competitive again as a nation. Right now, we're not competitive as a nation. That's where the problem is. So what are you specifically recommending that we do in this Manhattan Project for Energy? What, I'm not sure. What, where, where would that, those monies be spent, and what are you trying to do to make us more energy uh, self-sufficient? You know, the energy is, is made up a lot of a lot of different sources. You know, you have gas, you have coal, you have oil, you have wind, and you have solar. And clearly, they, they all have different attributes. 
The problem with gas is the distribution lines. If you're able to distribute the gas properly, we would have a much better usage of gas. And, and, and that is an issue. And, of course, trying to get gas lines across country are difficult things unless you utilize the government takes a strong position on it, which they have not at this point. Because, you know, again, state rights are, 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 are important, and the national government doesn't want to infringe on state rights. And, and again, that goes back to, the, again, the 16th and 17th century, where the states should be in the Federalist compared to state rights. But, but in order for us to really move forward, we need to sit here as a, as a nation and make a decision that, listen, if they want to build windmill, wind uh, turbines out on Cape Cod, you can build it. You know, that, it's remarkable how that has stalled. In, in, in this, you know, I'm from Massachusetts, and we can't put windmills out there because we're afraid of the view. 20 miles off coast, which just happens to be outside of some of our uh, political people's homes. You know, this is not leadership. This is hypocrisy. So is this an area that you think people should be investing in because there are solutions coming in the energy field? The answer is yes, but we just don't know who the win is going to be. We don't know who's going to benefit from that. You know, we, we, you know when I look at some of these companies like Exxon who are looking at distribution, you know, and, and, and you, know, you really need to to see who are, the, who are the winners and losers are going to be. We really don't know who that's going to be. You know, now we're looking at nuclear. And those, that's a very important subject. And, uh, and now they're talking about closing the, the Yankee plant, and, and, and here we're trying to get more of them, and now we're talking about closing some. So how would you invest in the energy area? Or how are you investing now for your clients in the energy area? As a commodity. We're investing in energy as a commodity because we don't know the specifics on the individual companies that are going to really benefit from the end. Unless, unless we see real directions from the government, which we're really not going to see at this point. So specifically, are you buying oil futures? I mean, how do you invest in energy as a commodity? We, we will look at energy resources, national resources, coal, and uh, we usually buy them in, in, in fund groups, you know, through mutual funds, okay. instead of having individual commodities which is a lot more risk uh, for our clients, we'll buy them usually in mutual funds. Right, so that's one of the bigger areas of energy. What are some of the other major issues that we're facing, and, and how should we be dealing with them? So, not only, so, so now we have the energy issue. And the other issue that comes down to is, is a cost leadership. Companies right now are, are shell-shocked. So Baines-Oxley passed about two or three years, uh, several years ago, excuse me. And, and that really made companies very reluctant to take risk very reluctant to say anything because they're concerned that it will come back to haunt them. And so right now we have, as I mentioned before, this paralysis. We have a paralysis in business at this point. You know, we can't get money out there. And besides, that is also one of the major issues that we're, we're seeing right now is, is capital. The formation of capital and the flowing of capital is still very much closed. And if you speak to a lot of small businesses, good businesses, they can't get loans. They just can't get loans. Banks are not lending money. And that's an example of a paralysis. So what would you do about that? I mean, President Obama has brought the bankers into his office and said, you know, lend, lend, lend. And everybody's pounding on them to lend all the time. Are they just not listening to him? Or how would you get them to lend? After going through what we just went through, banks are concerned about being closed by regulators. So Obama has them coming in the front door, and the regulators have them coming out the back door. The regulators are saying, if you give any more bad loans, you have one more bad loan on the book, you're gonna, we're going to have to take over the bank. So they're in a catch-22. It's almost a question of, you know, do we need to recapitalize the banks or start from scratch? And um, I'm not sure that's going to be the appropriate way to do it, but we clearly need small business lending programs. 
geared to small businesses. So again, how would you do that? Well, that can be done on a regional level. It can be on a state level. And you, can, and you can do that through the banking system by opening up a whole different lending arrangement for banks, very similar to what we did for, for home mortgages. I mean, my sense is the banks, a lot more assets. the banks have a lot of money. They're, they're taking money from the Federal Reserve at 0%, basically, and putting it into treasuries for the most part. So the, <laughs> well, they've got lots of capital, you know? Well, you know, they do, but they are very concerned about regulators coming in there and looking over their books and saying, well, how many loans do you have non-performing? I mean, banks are still... We are still in a, in a problem area dealing with real estate and commercial real estate. The next is, is the next one coming down the, the pike. It's actually starting now. You know, so you just, what, you what is, is the going impact to... going to be of, of commercial real estate troubles on the on the economy? Well, you know, it's not as big as the residential. Clearly, it's not as big as residential, but it, it, it just it's going it hurts it more through the banking system because now the banks have more underperforming loans, and if they have more underperforming loans, they're not going to lend the money out to businesses. Right now, if you speak to small business owners out there, they can't get loans. And that is crippling. That is absolutely crippling to our economy. If you can't borrow money, it doesn't make a difference. Look at Japan. Japan has zero interest rates. No one can get any money over there. It doesn't matter what the interest rates are. If you can't, you're not lending out the money, banks, so, businesses can't grow. So what do you recommend to your small businesses who are in that circumstance, who need money and are having a hard time getting loans? You know... <laughs> It, it, this, is, this question is, has been posed to me a couple times by small business owners who ask me, can you help me raise capital? And uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. Uh, and the banks aren't giving any money out. And so they're looking at investment banks. And investment banks are taking over these businesses. And the, you know, these, these businesses that people started for, for years and years and years, and they built up with sweat and equity. And now the, the business, you know, these bankers, the only ones that are left are the investment bankers. And they don't even want to do half the deals anyway, because it's just not profitable for them. And they're asking astronomical rates. So what businesses need to do is they need to do what they're doing right now. They're cutting down their labor costs. They're not hiring as many people. That's why you have 20% unemployment. They're not going to go out there and hire people when they can't get money to make payroll. You know, that's, that's, that's the catch-22 our economy is in right now. And unless we see really strong banking reform to help businesses out, we're, we're going to be stuck in this slow pattern of growth. I mean, this is supposedly what the TARP was about. We gave the bank $700 billion. That wasn't enough? Yeah, but a lot of that was to pay back their past mistakes. You know, the, you know during the crisis time, what, what was happening here, and, I, and, and, I, and I'm waiting for the, the book, the, or at least the movie to come out, a lot of things happened. But we were clearly on the precipice on an economic failure. Our system was definitely on, on, on the brink of, of failure. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And we had to make decisions. The economy and we as American people had to make decisions, and that was to get the banks at least moving forward. Let's just move forward so we can at least get through this particular crisis. And maybe that money wasn't spent in the most effective manner, but it was spent, and it was needed to be spent, because if we didn't spend that money, we would be in a far greater crisis than we are in today. But unfortunately, that TARP money, you know, it's out of pocket, out of mind. Okay. <laughs> all right, we'll get back. We've got all kinds of interesting things we're t discussing here. Uh, my guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who's a certified financial planner uh, with Beta Industries in Sherburn, Massachusetts. Uh, by the way, his phone number, if you want to find out more from Harley, is 508-650-0551. We'll be back after this.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Corrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Corrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who's a certified financial planner at Beta Industries, and he's based in Sherburne, Massachusetts. You want to find out more about Harley, his phone number is 508 650 0551. Welcome back to the show, Harley. Thank you. One of your favorite areas is uh, healthcare, and we just had the healthcare summit last week. Uh, what is your view of uh, what's going to happen to healthcare reform? It's it's gone an awful long way in the last year. What what is going to be the the end game here? Well, it looks like the game is uh, almost coming to a close, and the Democrats are pulling a uh, right of Statue of Liberty play, and um, which they have the ability to do, and. And if I, you know, and again, if you, if you look back in history, you, you talk about Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, people also really were not happy about it. I, I am particularly not happy with this, uh, this particular form of health care because I think they could do it in a much better format. But I think everybody has to agree that our health care system needs a little bit of improvement. I mean, clearly it needs some improvement. So you're saying that they're going to go ahead with a reconciliation uh, and not have any Republican support, basically. Is that right? I think they're going to do that. I think they're, they have thrown down the gauntlet. Whether they're successful or not, that's, it's a 50-50. I mean, it's, a, it's, pretty, it's pretty close. I mean, the question is whether or not these guys want to get elected or not. But you have a lot of... Uh, so if they do that, what will the health care system look like? What kind of changes would we expect if they uh, go ahead and do that? 
Well, clearly, we're going we're to see some of the larger insurance companies doing well. I, I personally believe that some of the larger insurance companies will benefit from this because there will be a consistency throughout the, the country. Having, there will be more having, mandated and coverage. People have to buy insurance. Is that what you mean? They would have to buy insurance. And you also, you know, right now, every state has their own insurance division. So if you're a company that sells health care insurance, you have to have five, 50 different policies for each state. And you have to go through 50 different insurance commissioners and 50 different licensing formats. And by having it universal, that makes a big difference to them. That cuts down their costs, their expenses. So this is overriding the state insurance commissioners, in effect. It's all going to be done federally. Theoretically. That's yeah. what they're hoping to do. That's so you'll expand the number of people with insurance and expand the number of people who have to buy it with, with mandatory. Yes. Right? And, and uh, how is that going to – you're going to add much more uh, um, coverage. Many more people have coverage that have had in the past. It, it, that's part of it. The other thing they're talking about is cutting uh, costs of health care dramatically. Is this going to work in that area? I don't think it's going to cut costs because now what's happening is that you're basically mandating that uh, people with pre-existing illnesses all have to be covered at a certain rate, which, again, we have in certain formats right now. Um, the, 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 the issue here is that by covering all of the people, it sounds bad, but it's not as bad as it, as it really is because a lot of people who are not being covered are young people, and that's a good pool to have covered because their, their expenses are less. The older people, the seniors, they're already covered in Medicare and Medicaid, and people um, uh, over the age of 65 and so forth. So there are, most of the elderly people are, are covered at present. It's the younger group of people, when they have lower insurance costs, lower expenses. By having uh, mandating insurance throughout the country, you're adding that group into the pool. I mean, so they, they hand, in many cases don't have insurance because they don't want insurance. They don't want to pay for it. They feel that they're you know, healthy and therefore don't need it. So you are forcing them to buy insurance that they are now voluntarily choosing not to get. Is that? What yeah, basically is? your your answer is that's 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 what the proposal is. Uh, again, I don't like the particular. I don't like how this plan has mandated it for businesses because the expenses are just going to be too great. This particular program that they have put together is onerous on on businesses right now, and that's the wrong thing to be doing at this point. Now you're in Massachusetts where they've actually done this already. What has been the real life experience? Where our program. costs are going up. My, my health care costs have gone up about 25-30%. My, myself personally, 30%. I just got our, our premiums just getting renewed in April. My family goes up quite a bit. So they increased our premium by 25% and reduced my benefits by 10%. So it's really worked out quite well for us. <laughs> but but I have a friend here in Massachusetts who did lose his job and was told that he's fully covered. You know, so for, as a business owner... I'm not that happy with it. But, you know, then the question is, you know, I have a friend of mine who lost his job, and he's fully covered. And so, so you think it's, it's, in, you know, in Massachusetts it's been better overall to have more people covered and have a slight higher cost on business? Overall it's net positive or net negative? Well, it depends. If you look at it from my point of view, I'd rather not have it uh, mandated. So my cost would not go up by 20 30%. But if you ask my friend of mine, he'll be glad to tell you that uh, – it's a good thing that he has full coverage. Although they, we always had coverage. If you ever go to an emergency room, you always get coverage. You know, no one's denied coverage anywhere in the United States. You go to an emergency room. So we, theoretically, we do have universal coverage in one way. The question is, how do we mandate it? How do we pay for it? Without tort reform, without portability, without the, 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 the billing cycles. You know, billing, medical billing is remarkable. I don't know if you ever had anything to do with medical billing. 
It's a remarkable thing. Hospitals, you know, I sat on hospital boards. I've seen hospitals submit bills to get kicked back. They submit them again and get kicked back. It's a game. You know, our, the billing process is, is, is completely incomprehensible. And there's, there's, a whole, there's, there's a whole industry that all they do is medical billing. So are, are there areas, opportunities to invest in the healthcare area based on the changes you see coming here? Yes. The large insurance companies, the Aetners, the Signers in the world, uh, will do well. They are, they are going to see, you know, they have the financial backing, they have the wherewithal to really make it work for them. The smaller insurance companies are probably going to end up merging with the larger ones uh, just because this is going to be economies of scale. The idea of competition, it's, it's, uh, that, that, how much competition is there in Medicare and Medicaid? You know, how much competition? There is none. It's, you know, and I, and, I, and, I, and I did some earlier readings about Social Security and talking about other alternative plans that were going to be available and other people were going to fill in the void. Never happened. And what we're going to see is we're going to see the bigger become bigger, and then we're going to have insurance companies are going to be too big to fail. That might be another bailout program somewhere down the line. But clearly, some of the bigger companies will do well. You've got the potentials, the economies. They're going to do well with this program. So in addition to the insurance companies, are there drug companies or medical device companies or biotech? What other ways would be benefiting? Because you're going to get a lot more people paying into the system here. So uh, how is that? where would you invest? Well, you that? know, some, I like pharmaceuticals. And I like pharmaceuticals because... Our population is getting older. That's the one guarantee that's happening right now around the world is that people are getting older. Ask Japan. Ask Europe. Even China's population is, is, is aging. So as people get older, we are going to need more drugs. And, and when you look at drugs, not just the companies like Merck and Pfizer and Bayer, but also companies like Teva, who do, who do um, uh, the products that... Uh, Generic, yeah. but also third, you know, third countries, mm-hmm. second and third world countries, because you, you, know, you need to provide them with medications, too. And so as a result, pharma, you know, pharmaceuticals, which have been really hurt in this marketplace, really have a strong potential for the long run. If you look at the long run, they're, they're going to do well in the long run. So you don't think there will be price caps on them as part of health care in any way? But, 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 you know, when you put price caps in it, but then they understand what their business models are. And then they'll come up with new drugs which will fit their business models. And, yes, it will hurt them in the short run, but at least they'll understand what those price caps will be. And I think if we look at how this medical program is going to be working, you know, they're, they're going to be talking about, you know, well, if we're going to be capped on how much money we can make, then let's not do any new drugs. And then we're, we're soon going to see that they're going to be, well, we'll let you build a drug within this matrix of, of profitability. So now companies will understand where their profitability matrices are as compared to right now, which you have no idea what's going to happen. So as medical becomes mandated, you're going to see a lot more compliance amongst all the different divisions between the, uh, the drug companies, between the government, between licensing, between the hospitals. You know, theoretically, if it's done right, businesses can do better with it. You know, it, it will grow better. But government really doesn't do it most of the time. So, so your two biggest uh, investments in there would be the major insurance companies and drug companies as a be- way to benefit from what's going on in healthcare. Is that right? They're going to be the winners in this. You know, they're, 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 they're going to be the winners in this, and the losers are going to be small businesses and, um, and, and, and people who are, you know, we're going to have to see our income taxed higher than this because this is going to be expensive, Bill. This is, there's no, you've got to pay for this somehow. They say it's revenue neutral. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It's inconceivable how it can be. You know, just common sense. Well, you know, one and one is two. It's not four or five. It's it's so, two. So, so overall, you think this is a net positive or negative for the economy, the way it's moving right now in the health care bill? The, the present bill, under the present format, is a negative. Just the concept the... is a positive. Uh-huh. And I don't think it's, and I think what, what's going to happen is that we're going to probably, we may pass this particular bill, and then we'll have amendments to it. Because a lot of the provisions of this bill take place in, in a few years out. That's what's interesting about this particular bill. It, it takes time for it to work. And By what that are the, the, time, uh, the political implications? Say they do this, they, they do the reconciliation, have zero Republican support whatsoever. What are the political implications of, of doing it that way? Not only on health care. But is this going to make things even more partisan in Washington? Well, first of all, I don't know if it's going to be any more partisan than it is now. But the second, the implications are going to be pretty dramatic. I wouldn't want to be a Democrat right now running who voted for this bill because the, the Republicans really got a clear open shot for that. And um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough one, but everybody needs to look inside and say, what are the real numbers? And I don't think the American public has been really told the real numbers. I don't like the idea of backdoor bargaining. I like to know exactly what things are going to cost. And you and I cannot even come close to what really is. We, we don't even know the real numbers. We don't even, you know, I, I had the opportunity to read 60 of the 1,100 pages of this thing. It was horrible. And I couldn't even figure out what they were talking about. So, you know, clearly, unless they come out straight with what it's going to cost and stop the backdoor bargaining, we're all going to be upset about what's happening. And it's showing up in the polls. Look, we got a message, you know, our senator was Scott Brown. I mean, it's remarkable. It's just remarkable what's happened up here. And this is Massachusetts I'm talking about. So this is going to happen across the country, you're saying? Yes. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, we've talked about health care. We've talked about energy. We've talked about financial services. We're going to talk about a lot of more interesting things when we come back. My guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who's a certified financial planner in Sherburne, Massachusetts. Uh, and we'll talk about a lot of these interesting issues as we come back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. 
Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There'll be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Harley Kaplan, who's a certified financial planner based in Sherburn, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the show, Harley. Thank you. We want to talk about interest rates a little bit. Uh, The Federal Reserve has been pumping money into the economy for a long time, a very, very easy uh, system, keeping interest rates pretty much at zero in the Fed funds. They've been buying huge amounts of mortgage-backed securities. Uh, has, has this been good for the economy, and, and interest rates going to stay low like this for a long time? Well, the question is whether it's been good for the economy. The answer is yes. The other question is, was it necessary? The answer is yes. In order for us to stabilize our economy from where it was back two years ago, we needed to get liquidity into our system. If that didn't happen, we would have been basically facing a depression-type environment. So having the Fed being on top of the game, and I've got to tell you, I, I am greatly impressed with how Bernanke has handled this crisis, because this was a heck of a crisis. This is, you know, I, I wish it's, I could say once-in-a-lifetime crisis, but this was really a strong crisis. And he handled it with what he, the tools that he had at hand, and that was to get liquidity into the system, get interest rates down low, and keep the system moving forward. And he's done that. So are interest rates going to stay low for a long time now? They're going to keep pounding money into the system? Well, I think the interest rates have to stay low for a little while. I think that, you know, being concerned with inflation, inflation usually means that you have more more demand than supply. And we're not going to see that much of a demand because we still have a shell-shocked environment. You know, businesses aren't growing anytime soon. We're not seeing a lot of new developments coming up in the neighborhoods, in the residential building. We don't see a lot of commercial building going up. So our, su- our supply is, is, is still out there, but our demand isn't. So interest rates will stay low. You know, we, are we concerned about having growth in the businesses, profitability? No. Our productivity is staying high because we're not hiring a lot of employees. We're not hiring a lot of employees because we're trying, you know, businesses are afraid to maintain their cost structure. So, so some people say that all the money that the Fed's been printing and so on is potentially inflationary. It doesn't sound like you're really worried about inflation going forward, then. I am at this at this stage. I'm not worried about inflation going forward. You know, again, if we were able to control energy costs, this would be a mute point. Because now that we're watching oil at you know almost eighty dollars a barrel, that's a problem. That's a problem. We still have energy is a problem, and we have political situations overseas some of the countries overseas, which can cause even greater problems. And so the problem is, the problem is that unless we control our costs and, 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 and control our expenses, we can keep inflation down low. If we can keep inflation down low, there's no reason to raise interest rates. I, I am not a firm believer of raising interest rates because economic activity is picking up. So how do you invest? If you assume interest rates are going to stay low and inflation is going to stay low, how does that affect uh, where you want your, to invest for your clients? 
Well, clearly, if interest rates stay low, the, the equities is, is bodes well. Equities have, a, 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 you know, again, we're at 14,000, now we're at 10,000. So clearly, equities, and, and I believe in that we will always reach new heights in the market, stock market. There's only what, there two guarantees in the stock market. It will go up, it will reach new heights, and it will, will, and, and it will crash. It will rise and it will go down. But eventually, we will go back up. I don't know what's this year or next year, but we certainly will over, hopefully, over over our lifetime. But in order for us to go forward, in order for activity to continue to go forward, we need to have a monetary policy which is which is helpful to businesses. Well, you were saying earlier that you know they have loose money, but it's not getting to businesses that they're not lending it. So the Fed is pushing all this money out, but it's not getting on the street to make things happen, right? That's that's and that's where our problems are. That's, and, and that brings us back to our first part of the conversation, where, how we're shell-shocked. So know, we have, we can don't the have Federal confidence. Reserve do something about that? Can the Federal Reserve make these banks lend more and get that money out there? The Federal Reserve is doing all they can possibly do. And the Treasury Department is doing all they possibly can do. It is now business leadership and political leadership that's necessary to move the next stages of this economy. And I'm not sure we, we have in place the right people who can do that at this point, unless they really change their, their outlooks. I, again, business leaders, you, 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 I can name on my hand the, the business leaders. There's just not many of them anymore. You know, there's few and far between. Our financial business leaders are gone. I mean, they're, they're, still, they're so concerned with maintaining the status quo that and, 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 and on an industrial level, I mean, our, our automobile is, is gone. I mean, so, you know, there's fewer and fewer business leaders, but we need to have people come up and step up to the plate. And some companies need to do that. On the political front, you know, with this partisanship, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a paralysis right now. We're in a serious state of paralysis. And that's why we're concerned with having slow growth over the next six months to a year. One specific thing I wanted to ask about was mortgage rates. The Federal Reserve has been buying huge amounts of mortgage-backed securities and keeping mortgage rates pretty low. They say they're going to end that program at the end of March. What do you anticipate happening to mortgage rates when that happens? If they, if they end that program, the mortgage interest rates will go up. That's absolutely clearly what will happen. And that will cause even a second shock to the marketplace. How, how much do you think, think they might go up? Oh, by at least 50 to 75 basis points. So today it's roughly 5%, so it might go up to 55 and, and, and something like that. Yes, it will, go, it will go up by that much easily. But I'm not sure that, that they will, you know, they will... They will establish a new program. I, I, now I'm also hearing about them establishing a new type of program. You know, but again, home prices are still falling. You, you can't do that. If you have home prices continuing to fall, that creates more problems for the banks. It's a vicious cycle. So it's actually cheaper for us to support interest rates than it is to have real estate prices come down on us. Because that will put more banks in financial trouble and distress and we'll end up spending more money in the banking system. So we're in a really tight, tight corners right now. If and you were again, to get a, a mortgage today, is it, you should uh, go now, or you should wait and uh, see what happens as far as rates I, I would go, go now. This is a good time to refinance mortgages. This is a good time to get out of debt. You know, you, you, no one, I don't know anybody ever went bankrupt who didn't know in debt. You know, this is the time to get out of debt. This is, should be one of the keystones. You're better off paying down your debt than having it in money market accounts. Yeah, money market right. accounts are paying, what, half a percent? Right. And how about uh, in the credit card area? Uh, we've had this new credit card law go into effect. Uh, people think that's going to solve everything now and we're going to get back to good interest rates and so on. What, what is your view of uh, what's happening in the credit card area? Invest in credit card companies because they, they won on that. that this really? was a win for them. 
this was supposedly a very pro-consumer reform act that, that reeled in the, the powers of the credit card companies to do abusive things. <laughs> then they, people really need to read the law. The law. It, it doesn't really do that. It doesn't stop them from charging onerous rates. It doesn't stop them from doing what they've been doing in the past. All it stops them from doing is doing it without your authority for a period of time of 30, 40, 50 days. But, so, it, but credit card companies are clearly have dodged a bullet with this one. So if you have clients with a lot of credit card debt, what do you tell them to do? Pay it off. Credit well, card, there's no, I couldn't figure out a, a better investment. If you're paying 20% on your credit card, I, I, I would pay it off. There's no better investment there is. But probably the reason they have the debt is they don't have the money to pay it off, right? And they can't go back to get the home equity loan from the house because the house is worth less money. So we're in a, we're in a type, we're this, and that's why we're still in this state of paralysis. That's why people are still cautious because credit card consumer debt is really very, very difficult. You know, we, we're, we're, we've, we've consumed a lot in our economy, and it's going to take us time to work it out of the cycle. And unless we bring interest rates down, you know, credit card interest rates down to 4 or 5%, which is not going to happen, and that's what we were all hoping for, that would be, you know, the interest rates would be coming down considerably, but that's not going to happen. So you are recommending actively to invest in credit card companies? I would say uh, credit card companies, Visa, MasterCard, they're, they're, they, they're profitable entities. They are profitable entities. You know, the, the, the flip side to that, of course, is that you've got to be careful with defaults and bankruptcies. But if you're looking forward, those business models are very profitable business models from credit card companies, very profitable. Even though they're having default rates that are increasing over the last couple of years and will probably continue to increase, the business model is profitable. So in summing up, we have about a minute to go. Uh, you say you should invest in energy companies. You should invest in health insurance companies, particularly the large ones that will benefit from health care. Uh, you like drug companies because people are getting older. You say to invest in credit card companies like Visa and MasterCard, those kind of things. Um, yes. These are some of the areas that you think are the best right now. I think, and, and, as well as technology. Never discount technology. And I do like some of the large companies like Cisco and, um, and so forth. AT&T. Uh-huh. Very Apple. good. Well, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. My guest this hour has been Harley Kaplan, who's a certified financial planner uh, at, in Sherburne, Massachusetts. Again, if you want to find out more about Harley, his phone number is 508-650-0551. Thanks so much for being on the show, Harley. Great. Thanks, Jordan. We've covered a lot of ground and hope you enjoyed it, audience. We'll be back again next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.